You know, last week uh, was Pentecost Sunday. Do you all remember that? Uh, but you know, the, the fact that it snuck up on me and, and wasn't like, wow, this is a great opportunity. We need to talk about this. Kind of made me uh, start to think about uh, the importance of Pentecost in my own life. It made me begin to wonder, uh, not just about the historical event, but about Pentecost in my life. It, it, I mean, what difference does the infilling of the Holy Spirit make in my life? How does it shape me and transform me and, and impact my relationship with Jesus Christ in, in how I live day to day? I began thinking about that. And, and, and you'll remember this Pentecost business. The Pentecost is, is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise of the coming Holy Spirit. It, Pentecost celebrates that, that moment that, that the prophet Hoel, or sorry, Spanish, Joel, uh, spoke of and, and brought to us and, and said that one day the, that God would pour out His Spirit upon all mankind, upon men and women and, and, and slaves and free and, and, and would, pro- Upon all people, and they would they would have this different kind of experience with God because the Holy Spirit was indwelling, empowering, cleansing, doing these amazing things inside of us. You remember the passage? Let me let me just read them to you. I think they'll come up on the screen uh, from Luke chapter twenty four. It says this. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is Jesus speaking, and he told them this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness for sins will be preached in his name through all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And the next verse. And you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised and what that is. What that promise was is promised Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then you remember the Pentecost passage comes from Acts It says, and when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seated. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Well, that's the next passage. (laughs) <laughs> that was a little early. We'll get to that one. You know, it's just that that's what we celebrate in the calendar, in the ecclesiastical calendar. We celebrate that coming of the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost day. That's what we do. But Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly that the Holy Spirit was going to come and that without the Holy Spirit, you have to hear this, without the Holy Spirit's activity in their lives, they would not be able to accomplish his mission for them or their calling in their lives. That this Holy Spirit business was absolutely critically important. You remember that when John the Baptist was preaching, he he said right from the beginning, he talked about this sense of what is the Holy Spirit doing? And and he's, he's identified the fact to say, my baptism is a baptism of water, but there is one who's coming after me whose feet I am unworthy to untie, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That was Mark at 1.8. Jesus said in John 14.26, he said that, that it was the Holy Spirit 
who would teach them all truth. You want to you want to know what truth is? It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, revealing truth to us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness and, ju- and judgment in John 16, 8. That is to say, it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people, to show people their need for Christ and to draw them to himself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says that the Holy Spirit would be their guide in John 16, 8 or 16, 13. This sense to say, where am I going? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that's whispering in our ears. He's going to tell you from beginning to end. The scriptures tell us that this Holy Spirit is leading us, speaking to us, guiding us, directing us, showing us. And he says, this Holy Spirit that's going to come is the one who's going to be your guide. He's going to be the one who's constantly whispering in your ear, constantly giving you guidance, saying, go here, go there, don't do this, do this, but those kinds of things like that. And his last words to the disciples just before he was ascended, he was, he's talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. That was Luke 24, 49. That, that's a kind of a big deal. He's talking about this importance of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the thing that kind of amazes me is this. He's telling the the disciples that they can't function without the Holy Spirit. He's telling them that the Holy Spirit would enable them to live transformed lives and to accomplish his purposes. And this is my question. If what was so important to Jesus. If it was that important to Jesus. I wonder how it is that we have come to think of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is the secret of success spiritually, and was certainly what was told to the disciples. How has that come to be just a date on a calendar for us? How has that come to be just something we celebrate in an ecclesiastical calendar? I'm reminded of a recent conversation I had with a pastor friend of mine. He's an Assemblies of God pastor. Now, if you know anything about Assemblies of God, you know they're kind of in the Holy Spirit. You get that. He said to me these words, and he's old enough to have said this. You know, things have changed in our assembly churches. They've changed so much that you'd hardly know us from a Baptist church or Presbyterian church. Things are different. That struck me as odd because clearly these folk are into the Holy Spirit. But we in the Church of the Nazarene have also traditionally, historically, been into the work of the Holy Spirit. It is one of our key doctrinal emphases. Yet I wonder... I wonder if my friend's comment about his denomination might be true in ours as well. And maybe for me. And maybe for you. I had to ask myself the question. Does my life reflect the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Is the way I live, the choices I make, the passions of my soul, do they reflect a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Or am I just a nice guy doing nice stuff who goes to church? Pretty regular. Am I more and more available to God in my life? Is my witness about Jesus bold? 
and confident? Or am I kind of an undercover agent? As we used to say in college, a clear-all Christian. Only your hairdresser knows for sure. Would anyone know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Would anyone see the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through my life, doing what only the power of the Holy Spirit could do? And not just be, boy, he's got talents. Man, he's good. Dr. Nina Gunter, a former general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene, said this. What is not experienced in one generation is not preached in the next generation and is not believed in the third generation. As a denomination, our distinctive doctrine of entire sanctification is just three generations away from extinction. I think what she meant is this, that if I and my generation do not have a personal Pentecost, I'm still going to believe in it, right? I'm still going to believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm still going to believe in Pentecost. Because I saw it in my parents and I saw it in the generation before me. But I'm not going to talk too much about it because I've not really experienced it in a way that really shapes my life. Then my children and the generation after me will likely not even believe in it and certainly won't be talking about it. Because they have never seen it or heard it or experienced it. They don't believe it, talk about it or experience it. And just like that, in three generations, it could be gone from our circles. Hear me. Not gone Gone from our circles. And God will move on to someone else and some other circle, some other group, some other people to proclaim his message of a spirit-filled life. I say this. I say, God, help me. God, please so fill, empower, and dwell in me that you are lifted higher than anything else, that the power of God is evident for all to see in my life, that the power of God is clearly my source and my sole focus, that this experience, this Filling up of God truly reflects everything that I am and reveals the spirit of God to others. You see, my heart is sick. I tell you what, my heart is sick to think that we may have a generation 
It could be my generation. It could be the next generation. That gives a patronizing nod to the work of the Holy Spirit. Gives a patronizing nod to things that we say, oh yeah, that we believe in that stuff. But are so far from experiencing it and living it and being transformed in it that it makes no real difference in who they are. And that the next generation, it is gone. You see, the problem is this. We wonder why sometimes we, we're struggling with our spiritual lives. We're wondering why sometimes we don't show and reflect the Spirit of God living out in us in the way we live and the way we talk and the way we function. And the problem is, I think, that we're not fully consecrated. We're not fully invested. We're not fully in the sense of, God, your Spirit overwhelms me in everything that I am. And we're just being nice people. Love Jesus. I'm not talking about not loving Jesus, folks. This is not about going to heaven or going to hell. This is not one of those issues. It's just talking about a life that is so filled up with God's spirit that it's all we have. That it shapes and molds us and structures who and what we are. I'm 58 years old. I'll be 59. August 10th, in case you're wanting to make a note of that. I mean, it's okay. I'm 58 years old. I have been parenting for 31 years. And this is... A little amazing insight I've come to. I only have a measure of control. The real point of any control that I have is over me. Is over me. I can't go back and remake my parents into anything else. I I can't go back there. It is what it is. And I can't tell my children or anyone around me in this generation or the next generation how to live their lives. Well, I can. Just that they don't listen to. I can't make anyone experience anything. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I can only make sure that in my generation, I'm choosing a life in the Spirit. That I'm choosing to live it, to talk about it, and trust the Holy Spirit. To do what scripture tells us the Holy Spirit will do. I'm the only one that can choose not to just give it 
a patronizing nod as one of our doctrinal emphases. But to say, this is something that has transformed my life. I'm the only guy. It's just me. I can't do anything about anybody else other than live it and proclaim it. Interesting thing is I know this because I know the story of Scripture. There are no guarantees about future generations. I mean, there are a few of those. You know, they say, you know, the sins of the father will be passed on to their children to the fourth generation and, and the children will be blessed because of their parents. So there are a few passages like that. But if you look at the stories of the people, there are no there are no guarantees about one generation to the next. There, you know, look, look at Samuel's life. What an amazing man of God Samuel was. And look at what disasters his children were. I mean, just look through scriptures. You, you've got David and you've got, and you've got Solomon. And, but you've got all these other sons of David that just were disasters. And then right after Solomon, disasters. There, there are no generational guarantees Scripturally, spiritually. There are just people, individuals in every generation who choose God. Who choose to say, God, so fill me up and use me as you would choose. It's just a choice in every generation. God finds people who are hungry and thirsty for the presence and power and cleansing of God in every generation. And my question for you this morning is just this. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I mean, I really don't care we, where we have been spiritually in the past. I, I don't care where we, where we are today. I don't really care, you know, what experiences or lack of experiences you may have had last year or last decade or last millennium. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, it really doesn't matter. The question is, are you hungry today? Are you hungry today? Does your life have this sense of, God, I'm not going to make it if you don't show up. God, if you don't so fill me and so empower me, I'm not going to make it. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Like, like when you're hungry and there's just nothing else on your mind. I'm like, I eat lunch and I'm already thinking about dinner. That's my life. I'm hungry like I want to get up in the middle of the night and fix a dogwood, dag, dagwood sandwich or something. I, I'm hungry. I'm desperate. I want to eat something. Late, we, lately, we've been having Julian apple boysenberry pie a la mood. Yeah. It's an amazing thing what insulin and, you know, all that stuff will do to balance everything out. Sorry, I was telling secrets on my wife. Hey, but at this point in her life, you know, eat what you want. (laughs) 
That's what the doctor said. Are you hungry like there's this desperation in your soul to go deeper with God? That kind of hunger. Because this is what I know. Spiritual hunger always leads to good things. Spiritual hunger always leads to good things. If you don't have a hunger, you're not healthy. If there's not a desire to eat, there's something wrong with you. you go to the doctor, they'll say, I don't feel like eating anything. Doctor, they'll say, well, there's something wrong with you. Same is true spiritually. I want us to look at some passages of Scripture. And and the thing that they all have in common is the fact that they all reflect people who are hungry for God. That need God desperately in their lives. Psalm 42 verse 1 says... As the deer pants for streams of water, so, so my soul pants for you, O God. There was a sense of hungering and thirsting. The psalmist is writing, God, if you don't show up, I'm in deep trouble. And in fact, he says that in verse 11. He says, okay, well, it's verse 11. Well, the next one. He says that. He says, this is the end of the psalm. He says, why? My soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There is this sense, the psalmist is writing, my soul is hungry for God. It's thirsty for the things of God. And if I don't get God, I'm desperate. And then he says, but put your hope in God. God wants to answer the cry of hungry hearts. Jesus said, I did not come to heal the the well. I came to save the sinner. The Pharisees, the people who knew it all. I've been around. I've got it all worked out. Those people Jesus didn't have two words for other than repent. (laughs) Jesus came for hungry souls, broken and hungry and desperate souls for God. Those people found satisfaction for God always answers the cry of a hungry heart. Remember Exodus chapter 33. It's a long passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you'll remember the story that that, that they're getting ready to go up and go out. And and they've been messing up. The people have been messed up. And Moses has, has just finally convinced God to go with them. And he says to, says to Moses, okay, my presence, I will go with you. Because Moses had already said, if you don't go with this, there's no reason for us to go. <laughs> Hear this, folks. If God is not evidently present in your life, there's no reason to go on. He says, how will anyone be able to distinguish us from all the other people? but for the presence of God in their lives. Let me just go out on a limb here. Does anybody know that you are a spirit-filled Christ follower? Are you any different than the next nice person on the street walking by you? 
Am I any different than the next nice person walking down the street? Are my attitudes, are my relationships, are my activities any more reflective of God's infilling presence in my life than the next guy's? Because, let me just tell you, if it's not then we need to seek God out until it is, or we need to just stop playing the game. There are other better things to do with your life than just come and sit here on the Sunday morning, folks. I'm sorry to say that. I mean, I don't want you all to get up and walk out. But, But I'm telling you, if this is not part of a life that is seeking after God, a life that is hungry for him, a life that says, I want to be transformed by who he is and what he is in my life. Then really. Go have a picnic at the beach. Go, I don't know, go with it, whatever you do the rest of your week. God says, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. And then Moses has this really bizarre thing. (laughs) God, if you'll go with me, let's do one more thing. Show me your glory, God. You ever want to see the glory of God? I do. I want to live in that presence. I want to live in that place. You want to hear the story about a discouraged preacher? First Kings, chapter 19. Elijah. Elijah has just had these amazing moments with God. He's just had this battle with the Baal, the prophets of Baal, and, and they lost. They got wiped out. And in this amazing moment of God's presence, you know, come down, burn up the altar, or the fire and the altar and the sacrifice and all that stuff. Uh, this amazing kind of spiritual moment. I mean, the people responded. I mean, the people responded. That was really good. The people responded. They, they like, wow, yeah, God's our God. And we're going to do it. And immediately he is discouraged and he's fearful for his life because the queen is after him. And he runs and he flees and he finds himself in a cave. And he's got his, just this woe is me kind of thing going on. God, <laughs> what's going on here? And stuff begins to happen around him. There's an earthquake, and there's thunder and lightning, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, and God wasn't in it. And then you know the story, there's this still, small voice that comes, a still, small wind that comes. And he covers his face. He says, oh God, (laughs) there's a moment and God has come. You see, there are moments when you are discouraged. There's moments when even preachers are discouraged. There's moments when we in our lives get discouraged and we think, what in the world's going on here? We're just desperate for the presence of God to show up. 
There was a lady. Sick. Many, many years. Spent all of her money trying to get better. You know the story. It's from Mark. Spent all of her money trying to get better. Wasn't getting better. She hears about this Jesus and he's passing by it. And she just says, you know, this is my last hope. My, my last thing that I can turn to. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'd be healed. And here's this lady. The crowds are around there. And the disciples say, when Jesus says, someone has touched me. And, and, and the disciples say, Jesus, are you kidding me? Everybody's touching you. And he said, no, somebody touched me and power left me. This lady has wormed her way through the crowds. She's fought through everybody. She's, she's weak. She's feeble. She's poor. She just spent all her money and everything else. She's just working her way through. She's bumping through people and bumping and bumping. Desperate to get to God. Desperate to get to Jesus. Desperate to have something happen in her life. And she just bumps through and finally she reaches out and touches him. Something happens. There was a religious guy, John 3. A religious guy. He knew stuff. Didn't know all the right stuff. But he knew stuff. But there was some yearning in his heart. This guy, he, he was a follower of God. He was faithful. And there was this something in him that just said, I've, I've got to know something about this Jesus. And Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. I don't want anybody else to see. I don't want anybody to know this. I, I'd be embarrassed if somebody saw me talking to you. I, I, I don't know, but, but I can't not talk to you. And Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night. Seeking out Jesus. And his life's transformed. And you remember at the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus was one of the guys that came and took Jesus off the cross. Something happened to that Nicodemus. And then, of course, we get all the way around back to Acts chapter 1. Jesus is gone. And he said, wait, wait until you have been, King James, endued with power from on high. (laughs) Wait. And here are these people, fearful, scared, not knowing what the future is going to hold. They just know that Jesus has said, wait and pray. And they're waiting and they're praying. They need something. They need that which was promised. And on the day of Pentecost, like a mighty rushing wind, there descended on them tongues of fire and something happened in them that transformed them from this timid, fearful, uncertain group of Christ followers. These these people already believed in Jesus as the Messiah. These Christ followers were transformed into bold and powerful witnesses for Jesus.
Tony Campolo reminded us that even with all the nice stuff of life, there is still something within us that only a deep and persistent ongoing encounter with God will satisfy. St. Augustine said, our heart is restless until it rests in him. You may not have the words to express it, but, but each of us has a hunger and a yearning for God. And that is the starting place for a personal Pentecost. It begins with hungering after God. This morning we're going to share in communion. And those who are going to serve, I'm just going to invite you to come because I'm running a little late. We're going to share in communion this morning. But as we do so, would you consider, would you consider the hunger in your soul? Jesus came that we might know rest and power and fulfillment. Folks, that comes in a life with the Holy Spirit. If you're hungry, that's good. God wants to satisfy your hunger. If you're not hungry, as you receive these elements, would you pray, God, make me hungry for you as I haven't been for a while? God answers the cry of hungry hearts. Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. You came as our sacrifice. You set us in right relationship with God. And then you told your followers to wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Lord, as we celebrate this day, would you speak to us about our hunger? Lord, bless these elements to our soul's good and be honored in them as we share together, we pray in Jesus' name.